it's um, some comfort that I do have to move the, uh, the microphone back up after Ethan's <laughs> reading. It won't be much longer, I'm sure. I'll make the most of it while I, while I can. Uh, played my son at tennis when he was 13. He's now, now six foot four. Uh, played my son at tennis when he was 13 and just beat him. And I said to him, I'm never going to play you at tennis again. And I never have. <laughs> uh, you need to know when, uh, when, they, when they're overtaking you. Don't you? Uh, it's a real privilege, as I mean, Carl said already, it's a privilege um, for him to lead this morning. It's a real privilege for me to bring you God's word this morning. Um, special, special, um, uh, additional offer this morning. I bring with you an extra half a stone um, <laughs> from the, from my Christmas excesses. Um, but, uh, but more importantly, I bring you uh, God's word, and it's been exciting for me uh, to look at this passage over the last week as I've prepared it. Um, I always find that when you when you prepare a sermon uh, and you start looking at something which is very, very familiar. Um, and you think you know all about it as you prepare it, you find there are new layers, new meanings. Uh, it's really exciting. And I hope this morning you catch something of that excitement um, as I uh, go through this uh, particular passage with you. Shall we pray uh, together before we do that? Dear Lord, uh, thank you so much for the Bible, for its uh, continuing and eternal relevance. Uh, thank you for Jesus' teaching that is uh, powerful and revolutionary, which is radical and life-changing. And we thank you for this teaching of Jesus that we can look at this morning, recorded uh, for us by Mark. And we pray that as we hear Jesus' words, uh, we will see them afresh, be challenged anew, uh, and go out into your world uh, better equipped uh, to understand uh, your your gospel and better equipped to tell others about it too. Help us this morning as we uh, read your word, as we think about it, uh, and we ponder it and reflect on it. Uh, help it help it to be really powerful in our lives this morning. Amen. Amen. Okay, straight in. Uh, the, um, the, the passage this morning is, um, is all about um, Jesus as the bridegroom, the groom, and, and what that difference, and the difference, the radical difference uh, that that makes. The context here is that some people come and ask Jesus a question. And they ask him the question uh, that we find uh, in, in verse 18. So let's read that again. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to Jesus, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples don't fast. Now, this could be a genuine question. Uh, so people, people could come and they might say to you, why do you go to church? Genuine question. They might come to you and say, why do you go to church? <laughs> Not such a genuine question. Getting at you rather. We don't know here whether these people ask this question, why don't your disciples fast, uh, as a genuine question. They might just have wanted to know, why is it that your, your followers are different? 
But they might also have been making a bit of a point. Your followers are different, and we're not sure about that. We don't know. But Jesus gives them an answer probably that they don't expect. Uh, a really uh, interesting, and indeed as we come into it, a radical answer. Why don't your disciples fast? Have you ever felt that you're the odd one out? Maybe you don't like Strictly Come Dancing, or you never watch it. You're the odd one out. Actually, I was thinking about that when I was thinking about you know examples of, of, of odd ones. And I remember, well, let's, let's do a survey. Who remembers Come Dancing? Yeah, you see, all the oldies, all the oldies, come dancing. I used to watch it. Uh, you know, I don't know how old I was when I watched it, I used to watch it. I have never, ever watched Strictly Come Dancing. Uh, so I am definitely, definitely one of those odd ones out. I just have never got round to it. I'm sure it's wonderful, but I've just never got round to it. Are you one of those old people out? Are you a really old person and vote Liberal Democrat? Um, you'll know why I say that. Lily Sinjer. Um, <laughs> why can you vote Liberal Democrat? Um, you know, more personally, you know, we as people who come to church, who follow Jesus, we are the old ones out, aren't we? Uh, I think when the census comes out this time, um, we will find that the number of people claiming to be Christian, and that's just claiming to be Christian, in the UK will have dropped before below 50% uh, for the first time since the census was instituted. And we know that the number of uh, people who come to uh, churches like this that take the Bible incredibly seriously are a very, very small number of the population. Well, as odd people out, as followers of Jesus, you know, we're in good a good historical tradition. We're in good company. Followers of Jesus... Followers of God uh, have always been a minority. But it's not always easy, is it? Do you remember Elijah complaining to God, saying, um, I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. It was an exaggeration. But I am the only one left. That's how he felt. And now they are trying to kill me too. And in the Old Testament, we read time and time again about how the followers of Jesus, are, sorry, the followers of God at that time were a small number and a beleaguered number quite often. Um, but Jesus acknowledges that we are going to be few in number relative to those who reject him. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the... Uh, the, the the people to uh, bring in the harvest are few. And then he says in response to a question, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Those who can enter because they have trusted Jesus will be a small number relatively. So we are, and always will be, a small number. And we will be the odd people out. And here, the followers of Jesus are the odd people out. The question is, why are you different? Why don't you why don't you do things like everybody else? 
The Pharisees fast, and they're incredibly respectable people. And John's followers, probably not quite as respectable in most people's eyes, they also fast. Why don't you fast? Why are you the odd people out? What makes you different? And that's the answer that Jesus, um, or that's the question that Jesus answers. He, he answers the question why his followers are different. And his answer is a strange one, isn't it? His answer is, there's a wedding taking place. And that's why they're different. My wedding was 31 and a half years ago. Um, it feels in some ways a very, very long time ago. And sometimes it doesn't feel quite so uh, long ago uh, at all. Uh, there are, was, were some... Um, particular memories of that day that I have. One memory was uh, we uh, we were struggling to find somewhere to, to book in uh, on the date that we wanted. In the end, um, was it you, Sarah, found the, the hotel? Or was it your mum? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, in fact, Sarah, Sarah and Sarah's mum between them, they found a hotel, a wonderful hotel, in the middle of Rochester, where um, Sarah was living. And... Uh, and we booked in there, but it wasn't quite big enough, really, um, for the number of people that we had. And in the end, they said, oh, well, we'll fix up. Well, what we'll do is we'll, um, we'll, we'll fix up the snooker table as a, as a, as a dining table. And what, what they hadn't realised, of course, was the snooker table was quite a lot higher than a normal table. But they only used normal chairs. <laughs> so I have, on, on my wedding day, one of my abiding memories is of these people sitting on normal height chairs with a much higher table. So they were basically <laughs> sitting like this, trying to eat like this, trying to look really cool as if there was nothing odd going on. Um, another memory, actually, is, uh, is, is my, my dad got to speak, which um, we probably regret, but, uh, but my, it's not normal, is it, for the, for the, the groom's father to, uh, to speak, but he was, a, he was an after-dinner speaker, and I, I certainly felt it was right to give him the chance to, to speak. He did go on and on. But also, what was also quite amusing was he set up the video so that he would be recorded for posterity. Then one of the first things that happened was one of the guests got up, head-butted the, the camera. It was one of those really big old cameras, you know, head-butted the camera, so that the... Um, uh, the, his speech, you just get, get his head sort of popping in occasionally into the, uh, into the frame, suddenly his hand comes out like this. Anyway, that was my wedding! But it only went on, I got lots of good memories, but it only went on a day. In Jesus' time, as we know, and still in some cultures now, the weddings went on for days. They were big, big events, amazing events. And, uh, and, you know, to get an invitation to a wedding was, was, was an amazing thing. Jesus says, there's this great wedding going on. And my followers are the guests. My followers are the guests. So of course, of course, they're not fasting. Why would they be fasting? Because this is a, this is a brilliant occasion. You fast at a time of mourning. You fast at a time of preparation. You certainly don't fast if there's a wedding going on. That, therefore, is an answer, isn't it, to the question. But also, Jesus is beginning to say something more profound. Because in his teaching, he says that guests, guests 
are the people who follow him. So he often talks about banquets and feasts in his teaching. So in Luke 14, 15 uh, to 24, he talks about the banquet where uh, a, a, a rich person says he's going to invite all his friends to a banquet. But do you remember, none of them can come. Um, they all have different excuses as to why they can't come. And in the end he says, right, I'm going out into the highways and the byways and I'm going to find people, new people, different people to come to this, this banquet. What he's saying is that many of the Jews will reject him. But there will be a group that he finds who will be able to be guests at his wedding. So there's a wedding going on and these guests are absolutely delighted that they're at the wedding and they're celebrating and that's why they're not fasting. But he also says that there's a, obviously at a wedding, there's a bridegroom. Who is the bridegroom? Well, Jesus is the bridegroom. And this is a very carefully um, chosen description because by saying that he was a bridegroom, the Jews that were listening would immediately have thought, hang on, <coughs> in our scriptures, God is the bridegroom. Thanks to Judith for uh, the prayer this morning. I think it was a wonderful prayer. And she, she picks up on some of those references in the Old Testament <coughs> to God as the bridegroom. In Isaiah 54 verse 5, uh, God says, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. Jesus, by saying that he's the bridegroom, uh, the bridegroom is is with uh, Jesus' followers. He's saying, "I am, I am God," and obviously, uh, not just an amazing claim, but to them a blasphemous claim. This is radical, radical stuff. So there's a wedding going on. There are guests invited. Of course, they're celebrating. They're celebrating with the bridegroom, Jesus, who is God. The choice of the term bridegroom is, as I said, a radical one. And it also asks us, it, it makes us ask, who is the bride? And what apart from being joyous is the nature of the wedding? Well, the bride is not mentioned, but we know who the bride is. In Ezekiel 16 uh, and verse 32, uh, God says to the people, You adulterous wife, you prefer strangers to your own husband. The history of the Jews and God was one, God says, of God marrying the Jews, but then the Jews committing adultery. They, they, they ran after other nations. They ran after other things. They ran after other idols. They committed adultery. They didn't stay faithful to their uh, to their bridegroom, God. So the bride in Jewish history was Israel, but Israel was an unfaithful wife. Now there's a new wedding going on. So who's the bride this time? Well, John, one of... Uh, Jesus' followers would have been there, listening to this. He'd have been thinking about it. We know that late in his life, John had a revelation 
where this idea of Jesus as the bridegroom and Jesus' followers as the bride, which is the implication here, um, came to him in a vision. He says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. So Jesus' followers are the guests, but they're also going to become the bride. The bridegroom, Jesus, is going to marry his followers. He's going to marry the church. Paul picks this up, doesn't he, in, uh, in his teaching uh, about, uh, about marriage in Ephesians. For this reason, Paul says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then he says, this is a profound mystery. I am talking about Christ and the church. So in the same way that uh, a human wife marries a human husband, so we as the church marry Christ. Christ, the bridegroom, marries the church, the bride. So the followers are guests, and they're celebrating being with the bridegroom, but they are about to become the bride. In Jesus' death and resurrection, the followers become the bride. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful picture of how in Christ's uh, work on the cross, um, we as, uh, as his followers become united to him. Uh, in the same way that, um, as a picture of that, a human wife and a human husband become united. This marriage, then, is the eternal marriage prophesied by Hosea, who says, who, who um, tells us that God says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. In God's compassion and love on the cross, and in the righteousness that he bestows upon us, uh, we become his his bride. Wonderfully, the guests become the bride. Christ <coughs> is going to marry them by his death and resurrection. And in verse uh, 18, um, we see that Jesus talks about uh, a time when there won't be uh, feasting, there may well be fasting, because he's taken away. And that might be his first, the first reference in Mark uh, recorded of Jesus talking about his death. So, it is not a time for fasting, it's a time for celebration because the bridegroom is here and a great marriage is going to take place, a marriage between Christ and the church. And the wedding changes everything. Sarah and I have been uh, watching uh, the, the, the tourists, I don't know if you've watched the tourists on BBC, um, it's a thriller um, that's just come out on BBC. Um, and I thought I was watching, well, in fact, I think Sarah said to me, um, 
are we watching are we watching the right program here? Because we went on iPlayer to watch it, and suddenly there was a very different um, feel. They were they were, to, they were talking Spanish. They were hunting boar in the uh, in, in in the woods. It seemed to have nothing to do with the program, which is all about a guy who's lost his memory and running away from the bad guys in the Australian bush. And we thought, have we have we stumbled upon the wrong program here? This is this seems to have nothing to do with uh, the program that we're watching. Of course, it's one of those things that they do quite often in books and films, where they change the focus completely. And then suddenly you begin to realise, actually, you know what? It's talking about what it's about the same thing. And of course, it was the right programme. And we worked out as we went through um, the episode why it was relevant. This is really weird. It's sort of been really weird to uh, the people listening to Jesus. He's been talking about a wedding. I, I guess that certainly they'd all of a superficial level got what he was saying. You know, it's uh, my followers, uh, uh, you know, are loving being with me and, they're, and they're, they're not fasting for that reason. So at that superficial level, I'm sure everybody would have got it. But now Jesus changes the focus completely. And he suddenly talks about... Um, Garments and wineskins. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine onto old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. The wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. What's he talking about? He's completely changed the focus of, of what he's talking about. But this, of course, is the link. If there's a wedding between Christ and his followers, between Christ and the church, that is such a profound change. It changes everything. And this is now what Jesus is talking about. The law on fasting only actually required the Jews to fast on one day of the year, and that was the Day of Atonement. Other fasts did become part of Jewish practice. So in Zechariah, we find out about fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and ten months. And God says to the people, he doesn't say you shouldn't do it, but he says to them, if you are going to do it, keep the focus on love, truth, and peace, God says in Zechariah. Uh, so he doesn't, he doesn't say, you know, additional fasting is required, but he doesn't say that they shouldn't do it either. He says that it should have a focus on love, joy, and peace. Love, truth, and peace. So by the time of Jesus, there was more fasting. But then, in fact, there was even more fasting because the Pharisees used to fast, or a lot of the Pharisees and some of their followers, used to fast twice a week. Every Monday, every Thursday, they would fast. So they're now not just fasting annually, but they're fasting weekly, Mondays and Thursdays. That was not necessary uh, at all in the law. Um, and Jesus could have made a point here about fasting where he simply says, this is not necessary. Um, and perhaps it's not, in many circumstances, even helpful. He doesn't make that point. He makes a point about the whole of the law. Because what he's saying is that if there's a marriage and the relationship of his followers and God, 
Christ has completely changed through this marriage, then actually, relationship to the law has completely changed. In fact, he goes further and says that he has transformed the law into something completely new. The two illustrations show this. The garment. What Jesus is saying, and people would have understood the example uh, very well, the picture that he's given. What he's saying is that the garment, the old law, cannot simply be patched and improved. You can't stick a new patch on the old law and make it into something different, something new. You need a completely new garment. Human religion is simply part of a fallen world. Even the God-ordained religion of the Jews is there to point out the need for something new. It's not a solution in itself. As Paul points out, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns it in the flesh. The law, the law was not a solution. The law simply pointed to the solution, which was Jesus. And now that Jesus has arrived, the law, the old garment, has to be thrown away. The end for patching and improving has come, and a new garment is needed. God is going to roll up human religion like a garment and throw it away. Hebrews 1, verses 10 to 12, quoting Psalm 102, says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will, re- they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a, like a robe, you will roll them up. The old things, the, the temporal things, the non-eternal things are going to be rolled up and now we have something profoundly new and different. Jesus has married the church and it changes everything. The law in its old form could not, could not bring us into that new relationship. But Jesus' death on the cross does and now the law in its old form is rolled up and thrown away. And we get, don't we, we get new garments. In John's revelation, we see um, Christ's followers receiving clothes brilliantly white as a picture that God has dealt with our sin. John records, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The old garment is thrown away and we get new garments As Christ's bride, we get new garments. The old garment has been rolled away. I'm not very good with this. Wine skins is the the, um, second picture. This picture is subtly different. I mean, Jesus could have said, and you can't stick um, patches of of new skins on old wine skins, and that would equally have been true. Because they would have, they would have pulled off uh, and ruined. But actually, notice this is different. This is not about patching an old garment or patching an old wineskin. This is now about 
the impact of putting new wine into old wineskins. You can't do that, because the wine continues to change and ferment, and it would simply uh, tear the old wineskin. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. You have to have new wineskins to put the new wine into. Again, everything has changed. We need new wineskins. In the Old Testament, wine is a picture of God doing something new. In Amos chapter 9, God says, Behold, the days are coming when the mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. Wine is a picture of something new, of God doing something new and different. Jesus, Jesus' spirit, fills Christians fills the church. That's the new wine that Jesus is talking about, and it's transformational. You can't put God's spirit into old wineskins. You can't put God's spirit into old ways of doing things. You can't put God's spirit into old behaviours. It's transformational. When the Holy Spirit comes, old structures, approaches and behaviours are done with. Everything changes. In Ezekiel chapter 11, you'll know this one so well. Um, God says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit. I will put, I will put within them, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Notice, I will be their people, and I will be their God. There is a new relationship. God has married the church. There is a new relationship. And as a result, we have a new heart. And we know God's, uh, we know God in a radically different way. We have a heart of flesh. And we are then able to walk in God's statutes keep his rules and obey them in a new and radical way. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. For this there is no law. We are married to God, we are changed, we are in a new relationship, and there are there is a need for a new behaviour. When I was preparing this talk this week, what struck me was how radical Jesus is in his uh, talking. He doesn't talk about fasting and the, the you know the, the need perhaps to think about fasting in a different way, or the fact that fasting uh, in the way that the Pharisees did it was unhelpful. No, he says fasting is part of the old law, and I have come to fulfil that law, I have come to make it completely new, I have come to make all things new I am marrying the church I am entering into a new relationship with people through the cross, and as a result the old human religion is rolled up and thrown away it's transformational it's radical, have you appreciated how radical it is to be following Jesus in the way that we claim to do. We are a small number, but we're a, we're a radical group, even though we are small. 
because we follow Jesus in a radical new way, in a radical new relationship. I was just struck again about how being a Christian is life-changing, life-transforming. It's for every day, for every week, for every year. We are in a new relationship and we have to be completely new and completely transformed. Should we pray? Lord, thank you for the way that Jesus uh, spoke, the way that he spoke radically, the way that he spoke uh, without uh, fear or favour. But thank you even more for his death on the cross that brings us into a new relationship with him, that transforms our lives. Help us to live up to that new status. Help us to understand that our lives must be completely different. As a radical minority in the world and the communities in which we live, we need to represent you in new and wonderful ways. Help us through your spirit to do that this week and in the weeks to come. Amen. Amen.